Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Shaparo, editor-at-large at The Block. And today we have a very exciting episode of the show for you today. I have my colleague, Stephanie Murray, joining us on the other side of the mic for her debut appearance on the show to unpack well everything that she's covering, everything that she sees hitting her desk, including the CFTC's Binance lawsuit. What's going on with SBF and that whole saga? And of course, some of the legal cases that she's watching, Ripple, Coinbase, Binance, and all those bankruptcies that have littered the news over the past several months. But before we dive into that and more, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. What's next for digital currency after a brutal 2022? While the core promise of crypto hasn't changed, digital currency is still forming the base layer for a new global commerce infrastructure. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers and even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. It's like building houses. What's the foundation and can you get the foundation right? Throughout Q1, I'm happy to host leaders from Circle here on The Scoop to give listeners the chance to hear how one of crypto's most prominent builders is paving the way for digital currency utility. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. This show is sponsored in part by CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. With CleanSpark, you can feel good about investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem because CleanSpark uses low-carbon energy for their Bitcoin mining data centers and is always optimizing their operations to increase energy efficiency and reduce e-waste, all while partnering with the communities they operate in. If you want to support the future of Bitcoin while also supporting the environment, visit www.cleanspark.com to learn more about the CleanSpark way. Stephanie. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, of course. Hopefully we'll do this more often, I guess. Where shall we begin? Maybe we can just ask you, you're working on this day off. You just hit some Paxos news that seemed a bit interesting. They're, I guess, not going to be able to get their banking charter. What's the deal with that? And how does it play into this broader crackdown? That's right. At least for now, Paxos is not going to get the banking charter that they applied for a few years ago. I think it's important to note that this isn't going to impact their existing business, which is regulated in New York. But they had registered for a national banking charter with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is that office, you know, that's part of the Treasury Department, which regulates and charters national banks. Their application expired on March 31st, which is a week ago from today, Friday, when we're recording. And so those dreams of, you know, getting that national bank charter have quietly died, at least for now. A Paxos spokesperson told us that they're, you know, looking at their next steps, which might include applying again. But definitely one to watch, especially after, you know, all of those rumors were swirling in February that the OCC had asked Paxos to, you know, withdraw their application. That's something that Paxos, you know, denied at the time. But, you know, nobody withdrew anything, but the deadline has passed and and now it's expired. So, I mean, this kind of speaks to this broader trend of crypto firms having a difficult time becoming banks themselves and also finding banking partners We also saw Caitlin Long's firm, Custodia, face some issues there. What's the sense down on the Hill? Are regulators and policymakers keen to cut off these rails? And what do you think is behind it? It's an interesting question. I mean, there's no doubt that regulators are taking, you know, a more critical look at crypto in 2023, just in the first 
quarter of the year, basically, we've seen all these different enforcement actions. We've seen the collapse of a couple of crypto-friendly banks. Even just Paxos, they got a warning from the SEC that they're being investigated over the Binance stablecoin, the USD, issuing that. And they also you know, were ordered by a regulator in New York to stop issuing it. So just in that one firm, you know, we've had all these different kind of regulatory things happen sort of all in the matter of a few months. I think that, you know, there is a broader kind of tightening around crypto in the United States. Just look at all of the different actions that the SEC and the CFTC have taken. You've seen banking regulators warn banks about doing business with crypto firms at all, you know, citing kind of the volatility in the industry. And I think that this is something that we're seeing after, you know, the major fireworks that really defined 2022. We went from, you know, big bull market to the collapse of some of the biggest crypto firms that sent ripples through the entire industry. At the same time, you have kind of the general economy also sort of taking a downward turn and all these factors are sort of at play at the same time. It's definitely impacted me, Stephanie. I mean, <laughs> most of the companies I wrote about are now bankrupt or out of business, about 50%. BlockFi to FTX to Celsius. All. It's really stunning to think about. Yeah. I'm going to have to hop on the policy beat. I don't really have much to do these days. I know. I think you and I are just going to need to become bankruptcy lawyers. That seems like where the money is now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wouldn't mind working for one Sullivan and Cromwell because they seem to be making more headlines than any crypto firm or DeFi platform these days. What do you think is the most exciting development? Maybe that, I don't know, if it's a positive development that you're excited about or, or maybe a, a negative one, but what's exciting you? I don't know if I would call it like exciting, but something that's really caught my interest is how Republicans have sort of become obsessed lately with central bank digital currencies and railing against them. This is kind of an interesting... You wrote this story the other day, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And so it's just kind of this interesting situation where, you know, CBDCs have been something that have been talked about for a long time on the right and on the left. But right now, it seems like Republicans are really, you know, taking this issue and running with it. And I don't know if that is because, you know, it's resonating with their base. It's a way to raise money. It's a way to, you know, put some daylight between them and the Biden administration. I think it's probably all of those things. But What's interesting is that it's happening sort of in the presidential primary, which is in its earliest stages right now, and it's also happening on the state level. So there are candidates, you know, running for president, like Vivek Ramaswamy, kind of a, a more long shot candidate running in the Republican primary, who's talking about CBDCs, something that, you know, four years ago might have been something that people would have no idea what you're talking about or wouldn't resonate with people in the, you know, early states like Iowa, where he's been talking about this stuff. But I think that it shows you that there is kind of more of an appetite for it. And, you know, the government is thinking about it. The Biden administration, not really the most crypto friendly administration in the world, has sort of left the door open to a possible CBDC. It's definitely not something that's happening anytime soon, if it happens at all. But it is something that the Treasury and the Fed are looking at. Why do you think it's becoming politicized? I think that it's an issue where Republicans can really kind of push on the messages that are sort of core to what they're all about, which is small government, 
free market, the Club for Growth, which is a really big conservative group that spends a lot of money in primaries and, you know, raises money with super PACs and things like that. They've gotten pretty active on CBDCs. And so they've commended people like Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, a Republican who just filed his own CBDC bill. They've also applauded Ted Cruz, a Republican senator and a former presidential candidate in 2016 who has filed his own bill to try to ban the government from doing a CBDC. So this is something that Republicans are kind of all over lately. But it's been interesting to watch to see people kind of talking about crypto on a scale like this, talking about things that are a little bit more specific than, you know, should we ban crypto? Is it legit? Kind of those things that politicians used to be talking about. Now it's getting a little bit more drilled down even in the presidential primary. Is there any money or lobbying efforts behind this? Like they didn't just wake up one day and decide we're not about CBDCs. That's a great question. I mean, is there anything that you've picked up on on that? I haven't heard anything. It is weird. I feel like when Ted Cruz came out of nowhere and was super pro-Bitcoin mining, I, I haven't heard much about that lately, but it just makes you think, what's the impetus or the catalyst for that? Yeah, totally. I think like the other thing to think about too is that some of these are bills that they've filed before. Like Ted Cruz filed the CBDC bill First in 2022, we filed it again this year now that we're in a new Congress. And there are also people on the left who are, you know, thinking about these privacy issues that a digital dollar might entail. Congressman Steve Lynch filed the eCash Act last Congress, which was a bill that would, you know, direct the government to put some privacy protections in a potential CBDC. And his office told us that they're planning to file that again. So it's not 100% partisan. There are concerns on both sides about what a CBDC could mean for privacy and the rest. That's exactly right. I think the reason why we've been focusing on Republicans talking about it is just because they've become a lot more vocal about it recently. Understood. So let's maybe turn to some of the legal cases that you're looking at. We've talked with Ripple about that case and how they're hopeful and the extent to which that might have ramifications across the market. Maybe we can start there and you can kind of walk us through some of the other legal cases that you're interested in keeping an eye on. The Ripple case, I think, is interesting. It's been going on for so long and we might finally get a resolution. And I think, you know, if the SEC wins and XRP is a security, it'll just kind of be interesting to see what happens in the markets and in kind of all of the other SEC crypto cases that it has pending or, you know, crypto firms that the commission's going after. And if it's a win for Ripple, I think the question is, is this, you know, a ruling that protects other tokens from not being considered securities? Or is it a really narrow ruling that only really deals with XRP? I mean, do you have any predictions about how it's going to go, Frank? What I'm curious about is, does the SEC continue and try more cases if they're successful? Like, does it empower them or embolden them to then look at similar types of tokens like a Stellar, uh, XLM, or at the end of the day, like Ripple is, you know, XRP is pretty centralized, but there's so many assets that like a Coinbase list that could open, there could be a Pandora's box that opens up. And then at the same time, if Ripple's successful, then that almost safeguards them and kind of keeps that box closed as it were. So I do think it's really important. I just don't see Gensler kind of backing off of this very easily. So I do anticipate that they'll continue to sort of press on this and, you know, appeal and 
try to sort of seek out victory there. Totally. I mean, I feel like the first rule of bringing any cases when you're kind of any arm of the government is you only really bring cases that you think you can win. And so who knows? I mean, it's a pretty big gamble by the SEC. Yeah, but I mean, they were really weak with the case they have against Grayscale, in my opinion. That just seems like a really unforced error and like evidence of, without speaking too strongly, hubris. But this is just my opinion. I don't have too many. (laughs) What about this Coinbase and Binance, these cases? So Coinbase is interesting to me because just, you know, as the SEC seems to be coming to a settlement in the Wahi case, you know, that insider trading case where mm-hmm. a former Coinbase employee and his brother and his friend were accused of insider trading. It seems like that case is going to be kind of buttoned up and settled in the next few weeks or months or however mm-hmm. long. That case kind of coming to a close. At the same time, Coinbase was served a Wells notice from the SEC telling them that, you know, they could bring legal action against Coinbase. I think that's going to be a really interesting case to watch if it happens because, you know, Coinbase is a major name in the United States and is kind of seen as the company that's done stuff by the book. And people that I talk to in the industry and in Washington, you know, expect Coinbase to fight it. And I don't know, it's just going to be really, really interesting. Yeah. Binance is the other elephant or gorilla in the room. Absolutely. And this one, the Binance case from the CFTC, super interesting. I think that the thing that surprised a lot of people in the space was that the CFTC was kind of the one to bring an enforcement action against Binance. There had been kind of this warning from the SEC that SEC staff think that Binance is operating an unregistered securities exchange in the United States. That would be Binance U.S., And that had been mentioned in another crypto bankruptcy case, the Voyager case. And so Mm -hmm. what was happening there, it's like, I feel like a crazy person trying to, you know, point to all of these different legal cases and things going on. But what had happened was that in the Voyager case, the bankruptcy judge was deciding whether to approve this restructuring plan for Voyager that included a big asset sale to Binance US. And before he approved it, he was getting a lot of pushback from the SEC But the SEC wasn't really saying why they were pushing back so hard. And so the judge just kept saying, you know, give me more evidence, actually take a stand, take a position on something. I can't just rule based on you kind of warning me that things might be off here. And so then the SEC lawyer had to come out and say that SEC staff believe that Binance is operating an unregistered securities exchange. But the key word there is staff because the staff... Binance U.S. or Binance proper? Binance U.S. Well, Binance U.S. is operating an unregulated U.S. securities exchange. Why would that disqualify every single other crypto exchange from doing the same? I mean, I haven't looked at the overlap of assets, but I imagine they must be directionally the same. It's a good question. And the SEC hasn't actually even taken a real position on it because the staff opinion doesn't reflect what the commission thinks. The commissioners have to vote on it and they Uh, haven't. And so the surprise was that instead of the SEC coming out with something, since we know from this court case that they're thinking about it, the CFTC was the one to come out and bring in action against Binance saying that they undermine their own compliance rules and may have done business illegally in the United States. And so I think the thing to watch now is whether other agencies get involved, whether it is the SEC 
maybe the Department of Justice or some of those financial regulators like FinCEN or OFAC. A lot of people brought up to me that Bitslotto, that big Bitslotto action from a few months ago when they kind of brought all the different departments in for this big press conference, hyped it up on Twitter. Everybody was waiting to see who got in trouble and were expecting it to be a bigger company. But then it turned out to be Bitslotto, this little, you know, company yeah. that not a lot of people had heard of. And so the question I've been hearing is just kind of why did they do such a big thing for this small company and just the CFTC going after Binance? The answer I've heard is that, you know, the CFTC brought the case once it was ready and there's no, you know, indication that anything is coming from another agency, but it's something that people I think wouldn't be surprised to see after reading through the complaint. So where does Binance US go from here? Basically accused of operating an unregistered securities exchange, but in the form of a complaint that is not necessarily an SEC mandate, as it were. What do you do? Big picture, I think it remains to be seen, but in the short term, kind of the one thing that we can watch to see what's going to happen next is whether the Voyager sale to Binance US is able to go through. They got approval from the bankruptcy judge, but the government appealed it and, you know, that is going on in another court right now. So that's something to watch out for to see if that sale can actually go through. The core promise of crypto hasn't changed. Stable coins can bring faster payments at internet scale. From merchants at the point of sale to corporations that want to pay suppliers or even employees more efficiently. Circle has always seen itself as a connector of the traditional world and the new world of digital currency. USDC is more than just a stable coin. USDC is also an open source platform. When our transactions are actually final and you can't change them anymore, that's another great quality property of cash because when you switch his hand, it's fine. Right? Can you digitize all those good quality properties and bring that in a digital form? USDC by Circle is at the forefront of this innovation. And that's why The Scoop is partnering with the folks at Circle to tell you guys why and how our industry is moving. A lot of us who have built USDC, myself included and Jeremy included, we are technologists. So we approach this problem from a technology point of view. Visit circle.com scoop for more information. Here's a message from our sponsor, CleanSpark. CleanSpark is a NASDAQ-listed company that mines Bitcoin. Basically, they build and operate data centers with tens of thousands of computers that help secure Bitcoin, making it more reliable and secure for anybody, anywhere to use. These computers require a lot of energy, but that's why CleanSpark predominantly uses low-carbon energy to power their machines. But that's not all. They care about the communities where their data centers are located. They create jobs, donate to schools and community centers, and revitalize aging electricity grids in rural parts of America. They aren't just a Bitcoin miner. They're one of the most efficient and sustainable Bitcoin miners in America. Visit www.plainspark.com to learn more. Okay, zooming out, Michael Casey at CoinDesk just put out an op-ed. The headline is, Thanks, Sam. How FTX led to the world's worst crypto policy. Two questions that we can break down. Is there an actual anti-crypto fervor that's, you know, omnipresent in Washington? And to what extent is that sentiment tied to Mr. Bankman-Fried's personal and professional meltdown? I think that lawmakers and regulators are certainly looking at crypto with an even more critical eye than they were before after the FTX collapse. And I think part of that is that 
a lot of them have been tied up in this political donation scandal that Sam Bakeman freed and mm. other, you know, top executives at FCX participated in. I think the bankruptcy estate is investigating something like $90 million in political contributions that were made, you know, at Sam's direction by Sam or kind of, mm. you know, made by him, but put in the name of somebody else. Like Mr. Sam. It's incredibly serious. And I think that that, you know, is one thing that's going to give lawmakers pause and already has. And I think that, you know, for people that have been raising concerns about consumer protection and people getting taken advantage of by crypto firms, I mean, now you have, what, 9 million people who are locked out of FTX. That's a big, it's not all Americans, but it is a huge portion of people. And experts that I've been talking to say that it is an increasingly scrutinized regulatory environment. And yeah, absolutely, you know, looking at crypto more critically. And after FTX collapsed, you could even hear it from kind of the biggest crypto cheerleaders in Washington that they have a long road ahead of them to rebuild their reputation after what happened. And a big portion of that is because Sam Bakeman fried was such a huge face of crypto, taking meetings on the Hill, advocating for policy. I mean, a bill that he was pushing for got pretty far in the fall, the DC CPA, which was like a commodities regulation bill authored by some, you know, major lawmakers. And now that bill basically is tied to him. Well, Stephanie, that sort of speaks to one of the questions that you marked down here in your notes, which is who takes Sam's place on Capitol Hill? Is there a big void now? Is the lack of SBF on the Hill something that could translate into some policy headaches or impediments for the industry? Has no one really stepped in? This is a question that I've been asking, you know, a lot of people who I talk to and I want to get your take too. Congresswoman Waters is probably very sad that she doesn't have her friend. <laughs> I, it's an interesting thing because he was so synonymous with kind of the crypto industry in Washington. He wasn't the only person, obviously, but was probably the biggest player. Will somebody step up to kind of fill the void and be the next face of crypto? Or will it be, you know, a more kind of diluted thing? Should crypto lobbying sort of be synonymous with one person. A lot of, you know, people in this policy space who I talk to say, you know, probably not because if something like that happens, then there you go. Your reputation is not in such a great place. I think there are other CEOs who could take a stronger role in crypto lobbying. And I think that they're trying to do that. But so far, I haven't. I can do it. You can do it. Okay. I should do it. I should do it. <laughs> are there any, you know, crypto company CEOs? I'm surprised that I haven't been, I've been asked to testify in front of Congress. <laughs> I would do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. I'll have to ask the GOP whip back on. I'll see if he can get that set up. <laughs> I mean, I think Jeremy O'Leary is a good contender. And I'm not just saying that because Circle sponsors the podcast, but he's very closely involved with Blockchain Association. I think the problem with our industry is that, you know, what Sam did well and almost obfuscated his criminality, if I can say that, was that he was so willing to sort of work with the regulators. I mean, it wasn't superficial. Like there was real legislation, despite, I guess you would say, the fraud that underpinned a lot of this real stuff. So, you know, not to defend him against the likes of like, you know, Brian Armstrong or Jesse Powell, but those two, despite not operating frauds, are viewed as a bit more antagonistic to regulators, whereas Sam was not antagonistic to regulators, but 
but ran a fraud. So what we need is someone who doesn't operate a fraud and who is not antagonistic to regulators. So there's a Venn diagram there, and somewhere there's a CEO or a figurehead who can fill the gap. If I had to guess, I think that we might, you know, see some people step up the next time there's a big bill coming through that impacts crypto. I think the infrastructure bill from a year or two ago was a big catalyst for a lot of people in crypto to get involved because of some of those IRS provisions that were in the bill. That was one, you know, thing that got a lot of people more interested in lobbying and getting up on the hill and things like that. So, you know, we're still early in this new Congress. We haven't even seen some of the bills that you know, crypto-friendly lawmakers have said that they want to file, I think, a stablecoin bill from the House Financial Services Committee is one to watch out for. All of that stuff has not, you know, happened yet because we're only in April in the first year of this Congress. But I think as, you know, things heat up and bills start to move, I'd imagine we might see, you know, some more companies get involved. And I just wonder who wants to be the face of this, if anyone, or if, you know, all these CEOs are going to share it or stay away from it. Yeah. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I guess, or to be fair, rather, to Mr. Brian Armstrong, I would say he would argue that he has tried to go down there and to take meetings and edify the upper echelons of our government, and they just are not interested. Is that fair? Because at the same time, Cher Gensler says, the rules are the rules, and you're not listening that the rules are the rules. So it's almost like, you know, these two immovable objects that can't seem to mollify each other's own worldview or see eye to eye. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pointing to kind of a central tension between crypto and Washington. You've got kind of a very slow Congress. You've got companies that want to come in and talk to regulators and lawmakers. You have a uh, White House that is, you know, examining things, but not moving quickly by any means. And then you have, you know, some regulators that have really stepped up a more aggressive posture. And that's where we're at. We shall see. We'll leave it there. Until next time, we can make this a regular thing. Stephanie Murray of The Block, thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners learn more about you, follow you? And are there any recent reports that you've put out to which you want to point their eyes? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephanie underscore M-U-R-R. And I think one story to keep an eye on is that Republicans talking about CBDCs, which you can find on theblock.co. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. The Scoop will be back to you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.